out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall, and as always, you know we'd love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn um, featuring the punk band Chelsea, because um, I very recently caught up with the guitarist Nick Austin to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Now, um, I'm not going to tell you too much about the band, because you'll find out more as you hear the interview. But just to say, even though Nick was in Lowestoft and I was in Norwich, the quality of our connection was not amazing. It's all right, but I wouldn't say it's amazing. So um, it does little, it's a bit jolty at times, so just hang in there, because it's still a nice little interview. And I enjoyed it. And that's the main thing. So anyway, I just thought I'd give you that as a bit of a warning, just in case it gets on your nerve. Just hang with it. Anyway, so um, after several minutes of casual chat, which gets edited out, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early musical influences and all that kind of groovy stuff, as you can imagine. I know, before that, we talked about um, decorating flats and stuff like that. And no stop. It's a lovely place. Go and visit it. Anyway, look... Nick, tell us more about your musical influences, please. It's over to you. I'm just 60 now. So I was born in 61. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, T-Rex are one of my all-time favourite bands. And, and you just can't get that, that out of your system. It was all so good, wasn't it? Um, yes. Well, it, it's the kind of music that's always very formative. Because I know when Lemmy from Motorhead or David Bowie would be asked, you know, the, what was your musical influence? They both used to say Little Richard. And Lemmy would always say, well, you know, the music you listen to when you were that age is going to be, you know, for him, it was Buddy Holly, Eddie Cochran, you know, Elvis, mm. you know, that is going to be the music that shapes you for the rest of your life, of, you know, because it's kind of, you can't be that person again. So, um, so when you saw T-Rex on Good Old Top of the Pops, did you think, mm. actually, I might want to do that? Well, it, uh, it, the first, the very first time I heard T-Rex, or, or saw T-Rex on Top of the Pops, I just felt that the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It was just, I, th I thought, I've never seen anything like this before. And and it was just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, and, and the songs were so great. And he was such a superstar. He just oozed stardom. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, to be honest, that wasn't, um, Although I loved it, uh, the thing that um, really uh, made me think this is what I want to do. Um, I was fortunate enough, but my dad used to design stages for bands, right? And he designed a stage for the Who in 1973, and so I was 12, and and that was the first proper band that I ever saw, and to see the Who at their height in a relatively small. Um, venue mm. was just something else. Oh, that must have, that must be. <laughs> I thought, yeah, well, I want to do that. <laughs> but you were twelve, Christ. Where, where yeah. you, So was this a tour they were on, and you got to see them, or did you just? Well, it's because my dad had designed a stage. He had, he got got hold of tickets and things, and, and we all went. And um, and I went backstage afterwards. None of the band were there backstage, but it was just the. the you know, just, just seeing behind the scenes of something so amazing. And, uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, yes, I'll do this one, I'm old, you know, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> arrogantly. Yeah, I like so this, absolutely. I'll do this. 
<laughs> it was interesting because in those days when we used to see and there wasn't much that you could see because you know telly was only three channels and they were pretty boring but you know when bands used to be interviewed about you know why why they got into music they used to always say those famous three words didn't they it was like well it was sex drugs and rock and roll so it seemed to be the sort of, sort of they suddenly told, were told not to keep saying those those three words a few no, you're, bright, you're breaking up a bit David Oh, am I? Yes. I was just saying that, you know, when, when we used to see bands being interviewed back in those early You're breaking days, up a bit. Oh, I am, aren't I? Shit. Yeah. Can you hear me now? I can, yeah. Oh. Drag City. I've got it on the Ethernet, and so it should be okay, because normally that's the thing that sort of... Am I, am I visually breaking up? Yes, you were. You're, you're fine now, but you, you were. I was just you were freezing. Like, I was freezing. Fuck. Damn. Well, look. Oh, yes. Well. Is this better? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Everything. Now it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just felt discombobulated there. No, but when we were younger, when bands used to be interviewed, musicians, they used to sort of always say in a very rock and roll way, they got into music for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, didn't they? It was kind of. Mm. So when we were younger, it did seem like the sort of thing that would be quite. Oh yes, that's absolutely fine. That's what you do. We didn't sort of hear the rest yeah. of the story of the band, really, did we? And it sort of, you know, ends in tears and breakups and all that kind of stuff, and no money either. But with um, so obviously your parents or your dad was a bit kind of on the scene, wasn't he? He was quite an unusual kind dad. Of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. He, 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 did, he did lots of bits and pieces with various bands. He did the Stones, and um, I think did some stuff with Genesis and. Um, yeah, so it, it was quite interesting as a kind of kid just to sort of be dragged around a lot of these places to see what was going on, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's just quite brilliant. I've never met anybody who's, whose dad did such an interesting thing. Mostly people just say, oh, my dad just worked in a factory or in an office and that was it, but not a set designer for sort of the major bands of our time, actually. So when did... When yeah. did I was just Sorry, go say, on. When, when did you get a musical instrument then? I started playing guitar at school um, when I was 12. And, uh, and, then, and then the family moved up to Suffolk and, uh, and couldn't find a guitar teacher at the time. So apart from a guy that taught classical guitar. So I, I learned classical guitar for several years. And then after that, um, I just did it myself. <laughs> Because, I mean, much as I sort of enjoyed that kind of stuff, I mean, it wasn't what I wanted to do. No. And so I thought, well, the only thing I can do really is just teach myself and get my own style. And um, I guess it's sort of kept me in good stead, really. You know, whether, I'm, whether I'm a good guitarist or not, I, you know, that's for others to decide. But I certainly know there's not many people that do play like me. Um, <laughs> I could, I could recognise my thrashings, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, randomly, for, you know. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for teaching yourself things and not doing it the same way as other people. Yeah, but, but obviously having a bit of kind of classical guitar kind of tuition and a bit of kind of that kind of input kind of, kind of can sometimes help with some people as they, if they want to stay in music to sort of not explore other avenues, but at least have a bit more to their kind of artistic palette, really, you know. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I enjoy a lot of types of music and um, and I guess that comes from, you know, 
you know, having done things like classical guitar, because it's, it's a whole different world, you know. And, uh, but I mean, when, I wouldn't say it's had an awful lot of influence on what I do, but, um, you know, I've, I've, all, all the stuff I've ever, I enjoy melody. And, um, you know, for a punk band like Chelsea, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't expect me to say um, that if they're not familiar with music, with the band. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but I've always enjoyed, you know, a strong melodies. And um, I think, you know, you can incorporate, you know, magical melodies into hard hitting music. Um, yes. um, and that's why I sort of tend to do make my powerful but something that everyone could like yeah absolutely and also it means that the music doesn't get too samey or predictable you know it has a bit of a variety and I always thought people like Jimi Hendrix had an amazing amount of melody and soul in their music and then when I you know obviously love people like Johnny Marr's guitar work and stuff like that you just think mm. there is something kind of it makes it quite soulful so as the, as the 70s progressed, because I had an older brother who was seven years old and he was into prog rock like Genesis, Yes, Wishbone Ash and all those kind of yeah. things. He, that was his period. And he definitely didn't like punk. So as I was growing older, you know, I missed punk because I was a bit too young for that world. But did you sort of, did, you know, did you have a punk moment listening to the Ramones or even the Sex Pistols? Well, uh, uh... Yes, I mean, I, I mean, the, all the early bands that, I, that were that were around, I, I absolutely loved. I mean, you know, you've got the you know the big three, you know, Damn Clash and the Pistols, and um, and and it was so different and so exciting, um, and and I and I just couldn't be get get into the scene fast enough, really. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate that joining Chelsea, you know, when I did, I mean, probably Chelsea were sort of, you know, the next one down in the list from the big ones at the start, you know, <laughs> and, um, and it, oh, I mean, it, it, they were fascinating times. I mean, I, I don't think we'll ever see the like again. The world has changed and, um, yeah, so there was a real freedom and, and an opportunity um, to, for, for us all that were there doing it to do whatever we wanted and I think now you can't do whatever you want you know you're you're shut out completely yes. and uh, now and locked down and uh, but then we weren't we could do it we, there was still although you know lots of people thought the whole punk thing was <sighs> threatening I suppose it wasn't. It was. It was one of the most creative periods musically I think there's been. Because when you look back at all the first wave of bands, whether they were British or American, thing, all the bands sound totally different, and it all came under the umbrella of kind of punk. Yeah. But I, th I think the word's been misunderstood now. It's like people just think noisy, three chord, thrash, you know, that type of thing, and it was never like that. I mean that there, there were elements of that that came in later, but 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 the first wave of punk uh, was really quite musical, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. No, there's that great album, isn't there, Live at the Roxy, and there's bands like I think Eater on it and Roger and the Dogs. Mm -hmm. God, I can't remember. Probably I don't know X-ray Spec. I think they were on it as well. 
But um, yes, it was. And it's what's also quite interesting is the difference between the sort of London punk scene and the New York punk scene as well, because that has quite a different quality to it. And there, there was the remote, yeah, so but there was also sound, the, yeah. the New York dolls. And then you had people like, you know, early Blondie and then in Talking Heads. And then you also and you had, the had that- boys as well and people like that. Yeah, and then it was also in New York, you had that sort of rockabilly sound that started to appear with people like the Rock Cats and then the Stray Cats. And, and you know, that, that kind of was quite an interesting sort of scene in itself. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, it was just, you know, the New York Dolls and Johnny Thunders, but that, you know, a bit of a tricky one because of the drugs. So <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, so yeah. Look, being, being in Suffolk, which I, is where I grew up, it was um, not knocking Suffolk because it's a lovely place, but it is kind of quite out of the way, isn't it? How did you sort of manage to sort of escape? And well, so into... I, I left school, <laughs> basically, almost as soon as I could and went, and went down to London. And um, I, I thought, you've got to be where things are going on, you know, if you really want to get involved. And that's what I did. Um, yeah, tender, tender age of 17 or something, I, I, I was off. <laughs> Blimey, that is very, that is kind of pretty... You know, back in the 70s, I mean, you know, my parents, I, oh yeah, they did get a phone in the house during the late 70s when my brother went in the army. But but generally, communication was quite tricky. So it wasn't like, you know, nowadays where it's, you can, you feel a little bit connected then. It was probably a bit more of an adventure, wasn't it? Well, I mean, you know, the, you knew that you'd heard of the places where all the gigs were going on and all that kind of thing. And I, and I, and I, and I just got sort of right into the middle of it and and, and that, I mean that's how I ended up being in Chelsea um, because I had been um, rehearsing with Generation X for a while um, and anyhow that didn't work out for various reasons um, but then um, Gene came into the Marquee one night and I was actually working at the Marquee Club and at the time and um, he said I, I hear you play guitar and uh, so I said, yeah, that's right. And uh, he said, do you want to be in Chelsea? And, um, <laughs> and I didn't have anything else on at the time. So I thought, yeah, why not? And <laughs> sort of the rest is history, really. <laughs> yeah, well, it's quite incredible because there's a lot of people. I remember talking to a, you know, this American promoter who said he, he spent four years really hungry because he, he was just hanging about at gigs until one day somebody said, well, do you want a job here? You know, you seem to be doing all the work. But, you know, it took him nearly four years of starvation, but that sort of focus that this is what he was going to do for the rest of his life. And when you're young, you don't mind being sort of hungry and sleeping on the Yeah, exactly, yeah. So were you, when you went down to London, did you know people or did you just have to sort of sort of find your way around the YMCA? Oh, well, well I, I, got myself, I got myself a job and things. And, um, and then, yeah, then I just started hanging out, you know, places like the Marquee, the Hundred Club, the Music Machine in Camden. And you just, there was a sort of kind of camaraderie between all the punks anyhow. So it was quite a sociable kind of thing. So you, you soon met up with people and saw, you know, familiar faces at other gigs and, and all that. And yeah, it, it was it was all very easy. And, um, and, and it, because, I mean, in a sense, you know, the stars at the time in the bands were not like sort of old school kind of rock stars and things. They hung out in the same clubs, you know. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and and were sort of part. Yeah, they were with the people, you know, rather than 
opposite, you know, being distant and up in, you know, in the uh, spotlight. Um, so you could, you could get talking to people, you know. Um, yeah. And what was it like going into a band who'd already had the first album, which is this, you know, self-titled album? Um, well, well, it was it was interesting because I mean, you know, I I, I knew Chelsea were, were a pretty big band. I mean, obviously they've been on the old Grey Whistle Test and all that kind of stuff, and the John Peel shows and all that kind of thing. Um, so so it was interesting. I mean, the second gig I did with with the band, we were playing the Lyceum, you know. Oh, right. So it was kind of jumping in at the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it must have been, you know, you must have been all of about 17, 18 then. Yeah, yeah. Which was quite, you know, when you see a 17 or 18 year old now, you think, blimey, you look so young, kid. Yeah, I mean, I think there's big differences between, you know, um, say us at 17 and a 17 year old now. <laughs> but, yes. uh, but it's a different world. I mean, now it's, I mean, I'm not, that, I'm not sure it's better, but. <laughs> You're, because you contribute quite a lot of songs to the second album, don't you? I mean, you're... you're yeah, I, I wrote most of the stuff, really, yeah. Yeah. So when, um, did, when did songwriting become your bag? When did you suddenly went blind? I've also got a talent for songwriting. Well, I, I, I put a little scratch band together. This is before Chelsea, and, um, and no one else in the band could write. And so I thought, right, I better write some songs. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a mixed bag of stuff. But I sort of, it, I got fairly practised at it. And then when it came to coming up with stuff for Chelsea, um, I just thought, right, it just seemed natural to do it. Um, I mean, it, it's quite it's quite weird looking back. I mean, you know, the, the album that you're talking about, the Evacuate album, um, yes. it's really put up on a pedestal as one of the great punk albums now. And, um, but at the time, it, it's just what you did. <laughs> you know, I had no, absolutely no idea that people would, you know, think very highly of it, you know, well, years no, later. Well, it's interesting because I've been doing this show now for quite a few years and there's um, a couple of things that have been happening quite a lot, I've noticed, is that people have been bringing out lots of books, you know, of mm. the scene from 30 plus years ago. There's also been a lot of films that have suddenly appeared. There was one recently on the Nightingales, this band from Birmingham, and then there's one on mm. the go-betweens and the chills and the wedding presents kind of album, George Best and the slips yeah. and Polystyrene had one, didn't she? And then, you know, Do yeah. Dolly Mixtures who are very small. So I realised that when things happen, we just kind of assume that's it, that's fine. We don't really, we haven't got the ability to sort of look at it that critically or evaluate it. We just kind of assume it's going to be like that forever. But then, you know, life moves on. And then one day you get a chance to reflect. And you think, actually, some of this is much better. And on the, I don't mean it in the rose-tinted sunglasses sort of way, but just in a, because I've kind of gone back to listen to stuff that I missed the first time. I thought, actually, this is quite, yeah. this is really good. I can see why I missed it. Because then, you know, if something came along, you couldn't always get a chance to listen to it. Because, A, you know, you, you, know, you don't have Spotify, YouTube, and all those kind of things. You, you would have to literally try to go to a record shop and ask somebody, and they might go, never heard of it, mate, and you walk out feeling a bit of an... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which kind of would yeah. happen a lot, because especially because I was obsessed with John Peel's show, so you'd hear these obscure things, and you thought, well, that's great, John, but how the hell am I ever going to listen to it, you know, get a hold of it? Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so looking back, you know, which is, kind of, like I said, can be a bit tricky and, and a bit sort of awful at times, 
in some ways, you know, politically, because people love to sort of get nostalgic, don't they? About warm beer and cricket matches and all that kind of old England. But yes, but then we also look back and think, actually, that was really well done. But we just didn't kind of appreciate it because we were just getting on with the day to day. And when you're young, every day is kind of epic, isn't it? We don't really plan for much. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, that, so I was just thinking that was probably one of the reasons it all happens. And then you just kind of move on to the next project. So when you did the album, did you go on a massive tour with that one? Yeah, we um, we went on um, we went on tour with the Anti Nowhere League and Cron Gen on a tour called the So What Tour, which was a, a big all round Britain tour doing all the top ranks and things like that. So big venues. Then we went to America and we did a two month tour of America. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I mean, we did various other things. We went over to Spain and. So I mean, yes, there was a there was a lot going on, uh, yes. <laughs> and it was yeah, all a bit of a whirlwind at the time. Because one thing that I'd noticed, most bands have this great—I know you probably heard this a lot, haven't you? Five years, especially the eighties. You know, they get together, they have twelve months playing. You know, they get a single, which is a bit odd, and John Peel loves it. They get a John Peel session, the first album, everything's going well. Second album can be a bit tricky. And then a lot of bands, one of the things that seems to finish a lot of bands off is when they tour America and they, they often say, oh, we went to America, toured and then broke up. How did you feel or cope with America for sort of two months? I think you know, it, at the time it was, it was just such a crazy place. Um, and, I, and I felt I had the tiniest taste of what it must have been like to be the Beatles going there. Yeah, it, not, I'm not comparing this to Chelsea and the Beatles, but, um, but it's like now, I think the mystique has all gone. I mean, I've been to America several times since then, and um, I, I think, you know, anything coming from Britain at the time was regarded very highly in America, and you were treated with a lot of respect going over there, and and I and I think. I think that has changed. I mean, and also for, for bands going to America and touring America, it was like, wow, I'm in a band and I'm touring America. You know, yes. it was like the dream. And um, whereas now I think it's all a bit matter of fact and people just expect and don't, it, it's, I don't think it, it, it's, it, it's not exciting either way, you know, for the bands or the Americans. Kind of thing. <laughs> um, it's... I, I don't know. There's, I think there's a, there's been a bit of magic lost, but I mean, but I feel very grateful that I had a taste of when it was good because it. Re I thought, wow, th you know, this really is great. <laughs> and did you and did you play some of the sort of iconic venues around the sort of the whole the whole country? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, in New York we played the Peppermint Lounge, um, which is isn't going anymore. But um, in LA we played the Country Club. Oh, um, oh, I, I can't, I can't remember. It's a long yeah. time ago now. <laughs> but I mean, I know we didn't play CBGBs, um, which, which I, which I was a bit sad about. Yes. But uh, and um, had, and had the American crowd when you went there? Had they sort of were they familiar with the band? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think, you know, we've been, I think there'd been a bit about us in Rolling Stone magazine and, and we were being hailed as the next, you know, big band going, 
you know, coming to America from Britain. And um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, yes, yeah, so there was a, there, I mean, there was a lot of people turning up at the gigs. It was, everyone was very enthusiastic about the whole thing. So um, I think they must have been getting the message. Yes. And did you feel, because in, in that sort of period of the 80s, you know, Thatcher gets in in 79, you, we'd had that kind of post-punk period, you know, with those kind of bands like the Nightingales and the Fall and, you know, Gang of Four and Wire. And then there was a bit of that indie scene that appeared with, you know, Echo and the Bunny Men and then Simple Minds. And then yeah, the Smiths yeah. came along in 80, 83. And that was like that kind of five years of indie pop. And, and then the other side, you had the kind of mainstream charts with that Trevor Horn production. You know, with the band, mm. how were you kind of, because you'd sort of been from the punk period and that's obviously it's slightly, you know, most of those bands have... Well, I, well I think the, the thing with us was, I mean, the, the, the sort of, the label punk had changed because you, you had the sort of second wave of bands like The Exploited and oh, um, Discharge and all those kind of bands that were a very different thing. But, I mean, Chelsea were always quite melodic and um, it was sort of power pop punk, if you like. And again, it goes back to that thing I was saying about liking melodies. And, you know, I want, you know, songs I write, I want everyone to like them, whether they're 95 or 15, you know. Yes. Um, and I think you, you, you can get the message across with great melodies. It's just, you know, it's what else you put in to pull in the various aspects that you want to come in. Um, yeah, so um, I, I think Chelsea sort of, carried on in the same vein um, because we had our own sound. Yes. But when you came to sort of doing the third album, is this original sin Sinners, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'd left the band at that point. So um, I'm not very au fait with that period. <laughs> he, he says, uh, uh, yes, I've... Yes, I'll be diplomatic about that period of the band. <laughs> yes, God, that's good. <laughs> so did you leave? I left, um, I left in 80, very early 83. Right. And uh, why, did you yes, say? Yes, why? <laughs> uh, basically, I guess you can put it down to the fallings out. I mean, um, there were, there were, some moves we should have made and we didn't and I was very cross about it and um, and so in the end I just thought well this, this isn't going the way I want and and so I left and then that was when the whole band got into the bit you're talking about the original sinners and all that and um, and I didn't rejoin the band till um, 90 I think, 91, 92, something like that. And yes. we did the alternative album. Um, which was basically kind of, would have been a bit like the follow-up to the Evacuate album, because a lot of the songs that were on the alternative album, I'd written for the band that I set up when I left Chelsea. So, um, so some of those were reworked, and so it, it felt like there was a natural continuation from the Evacuate album and then doing the alternative, although it was so many years later, you know. 
So whether, did you then form Church of Eon? Was this the band that fills that space? This was like, this was, this was much like, I did Church of Eon, I did about five or six years ago. Um, God, I've done my we, research. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, which I, which I love doing at the time, but again, you know, as happens with so many bands, um, there was some disagreements and, um, you know, we built it up to a point where it was really going very well, but it all fell apart. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. And so during yeah. that, and during your next part of the 80s then, was this kind of just kind of, not fudging, but were you just kind of looking for the next kind of band, next gig and sort of- Well, I did a band, when I first left Chelsea, I did a band called Bandits at four o'clock. I had, um, oh, a couple of members from, you know, the business, the band, the business, um, oh. sort of oi band. Oh, right. Uh, oh. Anyhow, but I had a couple, um, the drummer and the guitarist from uh, the business, and we yeah, we did this band Bandits at four o'clock. Um, but you know, we, it, things were changing in the industry, and we we we, we couldn't find a record deal. And um, and in the end, I kind of burnt out a bit, and I stopped playing completely for about seven years. I just decided to you know. Uh, not get frustrated and just do something else for a while. And then, of course, you know, it's kind of in your blood. Yeah, <laughs> do well, you it mean? Is. I mean, all, all these bands that I've often done, you know, they've, they've often, once they realise that they're, A, they've fallen out and they've got no money, <clears throat> you know, they've got to get some sort of work because there's other commitments, but they still want to make music. And, and I suppose most of them are in, in a different way now, but they are still, you know, recording at home, putting stuff out, playing the odd gig here and there, but just kind of keeping it like that, really. So when you sort of decided to quit the kind of the music world for for that period, were you sort of picking up on the scenes that were happening, you know, on the radio? Were you thinking, well, oh, this is interesting or? No, 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 not really. Um, I, I, I just completely walked away from the whole thing. Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I think I just completely burnt out. And, and also, I've, I've never been that interested in what other bands are doing. Um, yeah. um, I just think I do what I do. <laughs> and hopefully people will like it. But if they don't, it's unfortunate because it's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder when you heard those occasional moments like, I don't know, Teen Spirit or Nevermind, you know, Nevermind, yes. Oh, Nevermind. don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, that, 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 it was, yeah, there's been some great stuff that's come out. and. Um, you know, I didn't miss all of it, um, kind of, kind of thing. You know, but it did. That didn't really spur me on. It, I, I think I just, yeah, I got so burnt out with it all that I just needed a total break. And then, basically, I, I, I'd, I'd kind of, um, you know, finished in a relationship and stuff, and then. Um, bumps into Gene and he asked me if I wanted to do the band again. And I mean, um, that's deja vu, isn't it, really? Yeah. And so, because, because I, you know, we'd had all these fallings out and things <laughs> years before, I said, okay, Gene, well, I'm only doing it if, you know, we, we do a new album, we get a tour, we do blah, 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 blah. And I laid out all these kind of stipulations and he said okay then <laughs> and so I thought well right and, he, and then and, he, and then he said well have you got any material and um so um 
Oh, I had I had some, but I just said, yeah, I've got an album's worth. And then, of course, the pressure was on me because I had to really come up with the goods. Yes, this is <laughs> and, true. Um, but I quite enjoyed that. But um, And, yeah, I mean, it, it's like since then, yeah, we've just been... I mean, I, I did, I don't know, there was a, there was a period um, where I did leave again after <laughs> rows and God knows what again, but um, I rejoined the band in 2012, I think it was, and um, I'm still in it. Yes. <laughs> still here for my sins, you know. <laughs> when you got on the, the sort of 93 and 94 albums, was the, was the band particularly sort of cooking on gas, as they say? Did it feel like yeah. you were sort of back into it again? Oh, I think um, by the time we uh, we did the alternative album and then the, the next album, Tracer's Gate, um, by that time we were absolutely flying as a band. I mean, when I look back, you know, at you know some of the videos and things of what we were doing at the time, I think, yeah, yeah, we were absolutely at the top of our game. It was, yeah. Yeah, quite proud of looking back at some of the moments. It was it was really good. Yeah, and how were you coping? You know, sort of keeping a fan base together because that's always one of the things I've noticed with bands where they, you know, sometimes apart from the American experience, they'll all say, "Well, we bought out the next album," and to be honest, even the fans weren't even buying it and all coming to the shows, and everyone was just despondent. So keeping the kind of enough people interested is often quite a tricky one. Did, were you picking up new well, it's followers? It's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult now, because really, um, there's not many that, uh, not that many tools at your disposal. I mean, you know, Facebook is the big one. And, um, but they've been changing how they operate. And it's, it's very difficult to get out to people on Facebook now. They just seem to be limitations on everything. And, you know, you know, the internet and things was supposed to be like the great freedom for everyone to do what they wanted to do and things. Mm. But in, in reality, it's not like that. It's probably more controlled than ever. <laughs> yes, I know. It's a bit cunning, isn't it? Did you do yeah. you find, because I know in Vegas they have this punk and bowl, punk bowling festival and there's a lot yeah, of festivals yeah. that happen now. Have you sort of found yourself becoming, you know, like another another sort of wave of sort of interest in the band and sort of people new people well, I think picking up on it's you. All, it's always there because, um, you know, um, whether people like the band or not, it's like, well, we were one of the first punk bands. And, um, and it's sort of no one can take away your credibility. So mm. you're all, you, people are always interested in you. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is nice. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there, you know, well, you know, we've we've got a lot of really really good fans out there, and you know they, and it's been terrific over the years, yeah. But it, it's and going back to what you're saying about you know how do you keep up with it? I mean, it's very it's, it's and, and you know how do you get out to people? It's very difficult these days. Um, so you you rely a lot on your sort of real hardcore fan base. Yes, and I noticed with you were speaking to a few bands who really rely on sort of working hard, I suppose, a bit like Lemmy from Motorhead, but, you know, other bands like The Godfathers, they, you know, touring is really important, and especially going to Europe. I mean, do you sort of find this, you know, it's a bit of a tricky question, isn't it? <laughs> but this last year, not being able to sort of actually get out there, see people, sell merchandising, 
sort of putting things together and keeping that energy going? Has that been a bit of a, a bit of a... Well, I mean, I mean, we've been going out to Europe um, regularly for, you know, every year. Um, and it's always been great. But this whole Brexit thing has really thrown a spanner in it now. Um, you know, the amount of visas that you have to get. And, you know, it's like you've got to pay VAT on the, all your merchandise and things before you sell it and, and all this kind of thing. It, it, I mean, there's so many barriers. And um, obviously, you know, the venues are quite jittery when it comes to booking bands. They probably only want sure bets and, you know, because yeah. they can't afford to lose any money or, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot of problems out there at the moment. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we can tour in Britain, but going, you know, into foreign lands, um, there, there's a lot of obstacles. Yeah, because I know from, from various people, it was a bit like, OK, we're going to do 30 dates in 30 days. You know, we can't sort of spare, you know, any time because every, you know, every extra day or a day off is going to cost us money and we just need to sort of make sure we maximise. So going from one country to another is kind of like critical, but obviously we haven't had the worry to do it because of um, the, you know, global pandemic. But, you know, obviously Brexit is going to bring a lot of problems up. Bands, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, without COVID, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I just wondered, is it the case that you have you sort of worked out what you're going to try and do possibly next year if you go touring Europe? Or is it something? Well, just... um, yeah, I mean, next year is, is the 40th anniversary of the release of the Evacuate album. So... The plan is um, we're going to do a whole lot of dates around Britain anyhow to start with and um, where we're just going to play the album live, um, uh, you know, start to finish and um, and have a few of the other favourites, you know, you know, as an encore or something like that. But, um, yes. you know, it's I think it's, it's the, the band's biggest album and I think there'll be a lot of interest in it. And so... Yeah, so that's that's our plan for next year. Whether we can actually get it together or not, because there's going to be so many problems with, you know, venues. Do they still exist? You know, <laughs> and you know, promoters. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm just keeping fingers crossed that we we can work it all out because I think it would be a lot of fun and people would like it. Yes, and I could have imagined it. Well, I think people are so starved at the moment that we we always take things for granted when it's easy, but then you sort of realise, as Joan Mitchell says, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And um, I suppose yeah, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? We, we all have to eat that. So which brings us up to your new single that you've brought out. So this was mm -hmm. written during the, you know, lockdown. Well, we wrote, we wrote um, Matt and I wrote the song. I, I, I've got a studio in my place here, and um, he came up and we demoed a load of a load of songs um and that yeah that was one of them and so but we had to do the recording sort of in between the lockdowns of the actual album itself which was quite difficult um social distancing in studios and i mean it i mean but not easy but we got it done yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is quite something. Has it been, you know, being in this situation, and obviously I just was listening to Mick Jagger's latest as well, which is, you know, it's all good stuff, isn't it? You've got to do something. And um, has, has it sort of been kind of, have, how have you sort of coped emotionally with this period? Because obviously it's quite funny, some of the lyrics he's put into Well, I mean, I guess I've kept busy. I mean, I've, I've 
I've been writing and um, demoing material for a, a solo album, so which I'll once I've got all the stuff together, I'll recall. But so that's kept me busy. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I quite like gardening, and I've got a big garden, so um, I threw myself into that. <laughs> yes, I could have. Yes, I know. I had a bit of that in the autumn, really. Not very excited with it, really. You know, I always well, think it's, it's not madly rock and roll. Maybe it's the new rock and roll. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, I mean, you know, um, filling up the brown bin, you know, and having it completely full for that fortnightly collection is becomes jumping in them to get it down. Yeah, absolutely. Are we? And thinking, you know, I'm just going to squeeze a bit more. I want to get my value value for money for this. That's cost me thirty eight. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to make it completely full, and then the garden will look yeah, like different it. highs now. <laughs> I know it's a very different. I know you only have to sort of either stand up quickly and get that little. Oh God, that was quite a nice little kick. You used to have to take drugs to have that little giddiness, but now you can just <laughs> stand up quickly from the sofa. Yes, so that's kind of interesting in that sense. So with your, you know, because obviously the band has been like a marriage, hasn't it, to you? You know, this this has been one of those ongoing. It's when we so were growing up, it was always thing. Elizabeth Taylor and, and uh, Richard Burton, wasn't it? You know, they kind of one more <laughs> sort of serious. So with with the band now, does it feel like? You're just all quite steady with it. I think, you know, the, 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 the band's always been a crazy kind of ed entity. Um, it's, it's never boring, put it that way, <laughs> but it, it, it can drive you mad. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you know, all these years later, you know, we can all kind of sit in a room together and have a drink and a laugh so uh. <laughs> i remember i saw, a, saw one of those great documentaries well i love music documentaries but there was one on bands reforming after they'd split up and there was various people and you know this obviously mixed results but one on the police was quite interesting because they obviously huge money was kind of like being thrown together because it was yeah. kind of going to be worth a lot and um everybody was having a great time apart from two members and that was sting and uh Stuart Copeland. So they had band therapy and uh, they had to sort of talk it out because it's like, we're not going to keep this tour going, even though there's millions because we just can't bear each other. So they got, they yeah. sat down and talked about all their kind of stuff. And it was kind of, I think, quite revealing for both of them. They, they realized they just had to slightly tweak their behavior. Do you think band therapy could have been good for Chelsea? <laughs> I'd like to see someone try. <laughs> 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 yes, it would have been. Oh, God, that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No, well, it would, it would be interesting, but I, I, <laughs> no, I, I, can't, I can't imagine, you know, yes, someone getting out alive. <laughs> <laughs> but is it, is it the case that you just know what not to say now? Is that, is that the difference of when everyone's getting to 60 thinking, well, I think, you know, you, you know, everyone's kind of um, weaknesses um, or, you know, or the things you hate about people or, and it's the devil, you know, um, and, and, and you, you know, you expect certain things in certain situations and, you know, you think, oh, here we go again. Um, and you tend to shrug it off far more than, you know, it would have come to blows years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because, yes, 
So is it a, quite a different kind of energy to use that word, you know, now? What well, now? Kind of, yeah, within the band. Uh, well, in terms of the band or just generally playing? Just the band, you know, is it the case that, you know, you're not going to punch each other anymore? Um, I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but it's less likely. Um, yeah, um, basically we are what we are. It's a bit like I was saying earlier. It's like no one can take away the credibility of the band because we were one of the first punk bands, and you know the one of the whole e with the whole ethos behind it is you're supposed to be different. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, as long as as long as you're keeping going and doing the music and the relationships just about hold together, um, then I think, yeah, it's got the same energy. I mean, it's always been crazy. Um, but as I say, you know, after all these years, we're not killing each other. No, so, um, good. Good. <laughs> the, one, the other thing, you know, which I slightly alluded to, a lot of people suddenly get into really wanting to archive their kind of history because they realize actually, I'm not that interested, you know, during the period. And then, you know, you get to that point where you think, actually, if I don't do something with all these tapes, discs, you know, photographs, it's just going to end in landfill. Have, has, has there sort of been a bit of an idea of like how to archive, you know, what the history of the band has been within a... Well, I've got, as you say, I've got loads of bits and pieces of old gigs on videos and things that I've somehow got to transfer on the DVD that I've never got round to or put them onto computers or, you know, loads of loads of old bits and pieces. And um, I mean, most of the, I mean, I've just been casting everything around in boxes, you know, over the years, yeah. <laughs> various places I've lived. But I mean, where, where I am now, we've, we've, we've been here a couple of years now and we've been you know, doing up the place and things. And, I'm, and now for the sort of the first time, I'm really thinking, well, I can actually start putting some of this stuff in frames and put it around the house. <laughs> and actually take, you know, take some kind of uh, note of what I've got and see, you know, yes. see what's interesting and not, you know. So I just, so is there any kind of, God, it would be nice to do some other project, you know, to archive it in Well, I mean, uh, as I say, I mean, I'm going to do a, a, a um, record a solo album and, I'll, and then I'll, I'll put a band out and take take it out and gig it kind of thing um, so but apart from apart from that I mean with Chelsea I mean you know we're going to carry on touring um, yeah. I mean hopefully that you know there are still going to be venues left to play and <laughs> but um, yes I mean yeah hopefully I mean you know we'll just keep on keep on doing it yeah and when, you write, as... and when you write a solo or for your other project, is it? do you have quite a different mindset to when you're working with, you know, thinking this is going to be for Chelsea? Well, I, I, I guess um, with Chelsea, you know, I need to consider what everyone else thinks and everyone else's input. But when it's, when it's my project, I can do it my way. Um, right. uh, which is, you know, it's, it's just different, but it, 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 but it's like not not having to check that people, you know, are into what your idea or whatever. You can just crack on with it, you know. Yes. Um, which, yeah, I mean, much, you know, I love, you know, I love doing Chelsea, but um, it's, it, yeah, that's what I'm, 
I enjoy about doing the solo stuff is like I call all the shots. Yeah, <laughs> and if you could have said something to that young 16 or 18 year old starting out, I mean, is there some little bit of wisdom or some sort of advice you'd have liked to have given them with the knowledge that you've built up? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it is a very, very different. I mean, I think you've got to be quite determined. You've got to put yourself where you need to be. Um, I mean, for instance, you know, I, I was at school in Suffolk and things, and for me to get into in, into the whole industry, I had to be in London. Yeah. And so I went there as soon as I could, and I went to all the right places and became part of the scene. And you know, it's it's such a it's such a different. But if that if if anything like that still exists, whether it's online or or whatever, I mean, I think people have got to be very committed to what they want to do, and um, make sure that they're with like-minded people. Yes, and because if you're not with like-minded people, they're just a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> Are you better at sort of being able to sort of work out? who's kind of worth being with and who's kind of, mm, this person's going to just drain my energy. Well, yeah, I mean, the th thing is, it's it's so much easier with hindsight as well, you know. I mean, I can look back on decisions I made in the past and think, well, that was a great move. I had no idea it was such a good move at the time. No. <laughs> or, you know, and things where I think, well, I, I didn't do that very well. Um, but, you know, when you're young, you, 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 you just kind of do it and but but I think you just got to make sure as I say that you're with like-minded people and um you're determined to get what you want um I mean I mean definitely I mean to be in a band was my driving force since the age of 12 13 you know um so, so was your dad amazed when you sort of went look this is it I've done it uh, well, um he never really used to say much about it at all, but um, he he was um, also a, an art director on films, and um, he was working. Uh, he he was the um, the art director. And do you know the film Widow's Peak? It was a it it was it came out oh probably twenty years ago or something now, right. but it was set in Ireland then yeah, and my, and um, my dad lived in Ireland at the time, and he was working in the studio offices in Dublin. And I happened to, and I, I needed to speak, and so I phoned the, the 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 offices to speak to him. And this guy answered the phone. I said, "You know, can I speak to my dad?" And um, yes, I'll say he was speaking. I said, "It's Nick Austin, and um, this is Sam Nick Austin." And um, I. And it turned out, I, I didn't realise this at the time, my dad told me later, he was a massive Chelsea fan. And he, right. he was beside himself because he'd spoken to me on the phone. And, and it was the first time, I think, the penny dropped with my dad <laughs> that I might have done something, you know. <laughs> yes. So did he ever come to see you live? He did, actually. Uh, not me, so once or twice. Um, yeah, he actually came to... Uh, we played in Norwich and uh, yeah, in '82, and he came to that. I remember that. <laughs> right, he came. Yeah, well, mostly, you know, it's quite a, amazing. I think, you know, it, it must have been quite something after realizing that he'd been the slight inspiration for your sort of early, early. Well, it was, it, it was, a, yeah, the slightly large shoes to fill. 
Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, but it was it was quite nice that yeah, suddenly you sort of recognise, yeah, that I might have done something. Yeah. <laughs> and did you, I mean, just lastly, did you manage to sort of navigate that world of publishing and ownership of music? Did that, is that something that sort of worked out okay? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it, it, I mean, sort of as you go on, I mean, you learn by your mistakes kind of thing. <laughs> so yes. many people do. I mean, uh, you know, that, Yes, I mean, early kind of um, deals, um, publishing deals and things like that. I mean, yes, I was tucked up a bit. I mean, but which I, um, but but now, I mean, it's like, you know, the game and you know what you should be getting and, you know, and what's someone taking the Michael, you know. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, yes, I mean, well, I think if you can get through, you know, working in music without getting stitched up on something, you're very lucky. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. And um, I mean, and just and just also lastly, I mean, are you part of that circuit who who are sort of playing sort of the the punk festival still? Yeah, well, yeah, we do we do a few of them. Um, the, the biggest is um, Rebellion in Blackpool. That's I don't know if you yeah know about it, but it's it's the biggest punk festival in the world that it's held at the Winter Gardens every year. Nice. Last well, year, obviously, but um, and it's supposed to be happening this year, but and we're 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 playing. Um, but whether it actually goes ahead, I really don't know. Is it the case? But yes, things like that we do. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's, I mean, anyone who's into punk music has heard of Chelsea, you know. Um, yeah. And, so, have you, and and have you ever played the Ve the Las Vegas kind of punk and bowling event that happened? No, no, I haven't. I'm not sure whether the band's done it when I wasn't in the, playing in the band. Um, not sure, but um, but so I haven't played there. No, I mean, yeah, I mean it's going been going for quite a while now, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I was just a bit surprised. I was in Vegas once and went and saw all these punks and was a bit confused. And then it's like, oh, there's a <laughs> Like, okay, that's fine, that's interesting, you know. So, and then I saw the lineup, and it was all these British bands who were, you know, it's like, crikey, that's you know, they're keen, aren't they? They want the authentic, real deal, you know. Well, I mean, thank goodness, yeah, some people <laughs> do, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, I suppose, that's where younger fans or you sort of pick up younger audience because obviously they're starting to. You know, want to discover this kind of music for themselves, and you know, the more. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of younger fans that, that so, so you, you certainly notice it at, at things like Rebellion Festival. Um, you get a lot of overseas people there as well. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's really quite refreshing seeing seeing some younger faces. Obviously, you've got all the old diehards, and that. but <laughs> uh, but yeah, some fresher faces is is quite nice. Yes, I suppose with merchandise, and you suddenly. Realise you have to put an order in for extra large, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not many smalls. No. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, look. So just lastly, I keep saying that. Whereabouts in Suffolk did you grow up, by the way? Um, well, I, I went to school in Halesworth and Bungie. I come from Metfield. Really? <laughs> well, I, I was living in Weniston. No, Winneston. Jesus. <laughs> I can't believe it. No, I, I grew up in, in good old Metfield land. So Hellsworth was one side, Holston, you know, Bungie there. Yeah, yeah, Winneston. yeah. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, the old airfield. 
yeah absolutely it was our playground you know god knows how we didn't die because it was horrendous <laughs> i mean there was a lot of these kind of what what looked like swimming pools but they were just kind of fuel fuel kind of tanks where you know you if you dropped in you'd have just died and you drowned you know and, uh, <laughs> it was you know i mean and, and just jumping off kind of buildings and it was great, but you right know, it, was, it was good. I loved it. Winston, yes, I know all that area really, you know, quite well. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so good old Hellsworth, yeah. Well, it's um, it still looks quite nice actually. So that was your that was it. What was I was in Hellsworth today actually. My mum lives there. I was I visited her today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my parents went there. I think yesterday to get their haircut. So that that's oh, that's Hellsworth oh, right. for you. So um. And they go there. They either go to Holston or Hellsworth shopping. So um, it's all very exciting, isn't it? So what was your dad's name? Leo. Leo Austin. Right. So there you go. That was him. So um, bloody hell, bloody hell. Oh well, then you know that is a small world. I did once interview a guy who was um, in the senseless things. It was more of a punk, sort of an indie band from the nineties. And it turned out his mum lived in Metfield. It was like I can't believe that, you know. So um, it was like, Christ, that's unbelievable, really. Yeah, so God, there you go, that, that slightly stumped me. There you go. <laughs> so, well, anyway, look, Nick, thanks so much. When I put this out, I can always send you the link and then you can put it on your page. Great, yeah, that'd be cool, yeah. And people can say, God, he, he, who's that annoying person? So anyway. No, that'd be brilliant, no, <laughs> nice one, David. Okay. Well, um, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's yeah, uh, no, been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Small world, man. That's great. Okay, take care. <laughs> see you later. Okay, see you later, mate. Bye. Look, I love leaving that last bit in just for various reasons. Well, one day I'll listen to it and, uh, well, I won't listen to the whole thing. But I do enjoy that last bit where we sort of fumble out. At the end, anyway, that was me in conversation with Nick Austin from Chelsea, the punk band. <clears throat> if you want to know any more information about the band... You can, I, I do believe they have a fantastic website. Yes, they have one. Um, do you want me to tell you what it is? Just Google, oh yes, it's chelseapunkband.com. You can't mess around. And if you want to um, contact me for some nice reason, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86show. And all these have been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, just do C86show again. Anyway, look, I'm going to leave you. It's been emotional. Have a great week. Stay safe.